You are listening to a multi-part teaching series on the gifts from God as it pertains to the body of Christ. These were recorded during our weekly Rescue Church Life Group meetings. So last week we went over the five-fold ministry gifts from Ephesians 4, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. And so this week we're going to be talking about the gifts of the of the Spirit, but these gifts are not the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts that are gifts of the Spirit. These are gifts kind of like that are hardwired into people. These are kind of the place where we operate from, and we're not limited to one of them, but many times we are... Uh, we have a propensity toward one of these expressions as the primary uh, and dominant way that we express uh, kind of like who we are in the kingdom. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of land on that uh, in a little bit. But I just wanted to say that to remind us that Ephesians 4 is gifts that are people and Romans 12 speaks about gifts that are kind of hardwired into who we are and how we operate. And then next week will be uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think that when you hear that teaching, that maybe uh, you may hear it from a slightly different angle than you, you may be used to hearing it, which will uh, it will encourage you. It's, a, it's freeing. Anyway, so we're going to go into Romans 12 tonight, one, uh, verse 1 and on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So worship starts with getting a hold of your body. Um, we, we um, <laughs> this is something that one of the first things that you've got to get a hold of is your physical body and your sexuality. And Paul said to Timothy, to possess your vessel for honor. And so worship starts with getting a hold of your body and administering self-control. And that's just your reasonable service. That is only a reasonable response to, for, uh, to a God who gave his own body for us. And so one of the ways we give our physical body back to the Lord and present it as a living sacrifice is that we die to sinful and carnal passions that are destructive. And that's one of the first places worship begins. When I was coming back into the kingdom, one of the things I realized was that I was going to have to stop being a nasty boy and I was going to have to honor God with my choices and my sexuality. And this is something that um, is a very, very important principle because Paul in this passage touches on the body before he even touches on the mind. So he's going to touch on the mind in a second. But for your worship to be authentic, you've got to get in control of your body. You have self-control and you need to administer it. And this picture here of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice also speaks of the resurrection. Remember when Jesus appeared, uh, you know, from when he was when he was raised from the dead, he, he went and he presented himself to the father as a living sacrifice. And remember, he said to Mary, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my father. So he was going to ascend to the father and to present himself a living sacrifice. So this speaks of the resurrected life. And that's what worship is. Worship is a resurrected life. And in the old covenant, there would have to be flesh on the altar for the fire of God to fall. So no flesh, no fire, no sacrifice, no fragrance, no fire, no fragrance. These are all aspects of worship. And so 
this is a very, very critical and essential part of our reasonable service to the Lord. Now, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right here, you have two options. You have conformed to the world or transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's no gray area. There's no like, I do what I want when I want, and I do what God wants when it benefits me. It is conformed to the world or transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word, uh, the word here, world, conformed to the world, the world, uh, the word world in Greek is the word aeon or age, which is the spirit of now. So whatever is predominant, whatever is prevalent, whatever is the, the, like, we don't go with the flow. So you have the option to be transformed by the renewing of your mind or conformed and those who are conformed, they go with the flow, with the current of what is popular. There, there is compromise, which is damaging to your conscience, and it renders your faith useless if you conform to this world. Now, I want to just encourage you that when we make choices, we are either conforming to the world or releasing the kingdom. Now, I don't mean if you buy a blue car or a red car, but I mean when we make choices that are moral, that are ethical, um, that are sexual, we are either conforming to the world or being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we are, we are either partnering with God's process to transform us, or we are partnering with the enemy's process to deform us and to, to really destroy the image of God. Uh, that we were created in. So now I want to just bring some science into this real quick. The renewing of your mind. So uh, one of the things about the human brain and scientists, uh, neuroscientists have uh, found this out. The brain has what is called neuroplasticity, which means that when you do ecstasy or uh, porn or all types of crazy things, it actually eats pathways through your head, like into your actual brain. So it, it carves out kind of ways and pathways in your physical brain. So when he's saying um, to be renewed, it's, it's possible spiritually and physiologically to be healed and to be transformed. And so that means that there's healing for trauma. Um, there's healing for sin and for the brokenness that happens when we partner with sin or someone else sins against us. And so Psalm 23 knew this same thing when it says that God restores your soul, which is your mind, will, and your emotions through the paths of righteousness. So by renewing your mind and you doing what is right, God brings restoration to your life. And so Jesus paid for it, but for it to be manifested in your life, you've got to renew your mind and you got a journey on the path of righteousness and begin to do what is right. And God brings healing to you on the inside. So by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transformed in Greek here is the word metamorphosis. It's, it's the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And what's so beautiful about this is that a caterpillar, once it becomes a butterfly, it can never go back to being a caterpillar again, it will die before it goes back to what it once was. So Jesus wants to transform our lives so deeply that we would have to, it would like 
for us to go back to who we were, it, it would be like dying. And uh, for many of us, if we went back to what we once were, we would probably die pretty quickly. I would probably die in a weekend or a week. But, um, you know, you cannot go back. God wants to transform your life so, so deeply and so intrinsically that it's impossible for you to go back to what you once were. And so I, I think of a caterpillar. It's ugly. It's slimy. And it's just it crawls on the earth. But a butterfly is beautifully. It's beautiful. Uh, it's heavenly. It flies. So so. God wants to kind of lift us from the this nasty earthen slimy thing and make us a heavenly creature uh, that is beautiful uh, for the kingdom. Okay, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So our we don't we don't we're not getting transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we could become more religious and more judgmental but so that we ourselves could accurately discern God's will so we could partner with it. It's impossible for me to partner with what I can't recognize. So God doesn't have three wills. He's not schizophrenic. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so I, I just want to want to say that because I've seen people butcher that. The good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. That, that just means that God has three wills, but this is actually three descriptions of one will. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, verse three, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Last week, we, sp we spoke about the metron, uh, your metron of, of grace and, and service and ministry. And your metron is like the sphere of influence that God has given you. Well, for your metron you have, uh, of ministry, you also have a metron of faith, which is very important because many people step outside of their metron and um, it's unwise. And so that, that, that's another thing. But what, what I want to say here is that one of the first manifestations of a transformed mind is that you have a right understanding of yourself. You are sober-minded. You don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but you should think highly of yourself. And the reason I, I say that, I don't mean in a, in, a way that is in, uh, in a way that is prideful. I mean, you're valuable. When Jesus bought you, you were not on sale. So you were bought with a price. So the price that Jesus has paid for you is the thing that determines your value. So what someone is willing to pay for something is what actually determines its actual value. When something goes on sale, that is a revelation that it was overvalued. That's another message. But th this, is, this is something here because one of the first expressions of, of, of a transformed mind is sober-mindedness and a right assessment of who you are and who you're not, where you are, and where you're not. And the measure of faith has to do with your metron. So the measure, the word measure here is the word metron, which is like a measurement of faith. And so your, your measure of faith, you're going to see in a few verses that we prophesy from faith. So I don't prophesy from your measure of faith the same way that I don't bench press with your triceps 
or your chest, I bench press with my chest and my triceps. So this is important because sometimes people get into stuff because unnecessary issues because they step out of their Metron. And we see this many times in the world where there's a, a really rich businessman and they start asking him about politics. He gets on the news and makes a fool out of himself because he doesn't know about politics. He knows about money. And so because he has a lot of money, then they ask his opinion about politics, but he steps outside of his Metron, outside of his sphere of influence, and he makes a fool of himself. And everyone wants to hear him simply because he has money and he just makes a fool of himself. So it's it's very important not to step outside of, of your Metron. Um, okay, verse four. For uh, as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So this is this is beautiful because this is teaching something uh, that is very different from the world. The world, um, it, there's a lot of, in the world, the world creates a lot of codependent relationships where you have an abuser uh, and someone who's being abused, or you have a receiver, uh, like someone who's giving and someone who's taking. But this picture here is not creating a, a dysfunctional codependent. It's not like a 27-year-old guy who wants to smoke crack and make his mom pay for his phone bill. That's codependent, and that is dysfunctional. This is speaking of an interdependency. So you have your individuality, but you also we're members of one another. So this is this is a interdependency. So I am depending on my eyes to send a signal to my brain so that when I look at my iPad and I read the next verse, my brain interprets what I'm reading and what my eyes are seeing. So the same way that that my human body is dependent on different parts for it to function and flow correctly is the same way the body of Christ should be interdependent and functioning together for the purpose of Christ and the kingdom. This is very important. So when people don't play their part, it, it breaks the momentum and it breaks the flow of what God is trying to do. It's the same thing in, his, in a family. Like, let's say, you know, you have a responsibility of cleaning dishes, but you never do the dishes. And then the kitchen is a mess and the house is a disaster simply because you don't do your part. So this is the same in the body of Christ, where we are depending on one another to do our part, whether it's serving, whether it's giving, whether it's showing hospitality, whether it's um, encouraging people, whatever it is, it's important that you do your part. Verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given, let us use them. We used to say this, use it or lose it. <laughs> um, you, you see that with strength training, where in just a few weeks, you could lose a lot quickly. Um, and so I encourage you that if God has given you a gift, use it. Uh let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So this is important because in the New Testament, the New Covenant, we prophesy um, according to faith. And that's important. So there's, there's a bunch of ministry gifts here. I'm going to read them and then I'm going I'm to finish reading the passage. So prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. 
So here there are seven ways in which people are hardwired. And we're going to discuss that in a little bit. So the word ministry here is serving. It's the word diakonos, where we would get uh, the word deacon. And uh, the whole point of serving is about being attentive to someone else and being so attentive that before they ask you, you know what they need. Like um, we were, me and my wife recently, we were in Panama and I couldn't even get my glass halfway empty before the servers were there filling up our glass. We didn't have to ask. They already knew. So when you're, when you're serving, you should be observant. If you want to be a good servant, you need to be observant. You need to be watchful. You need to be able to read what is the need. This is very, very important. Teaching, teaching, whether it's the Bible, whether it's something else, teaching. Exhortation. This is encouraging. This is inviting. This is uh, calling people near. Uh, the next one, giving. Um, when someone is a giver, they don't have to be asked. They naturally move toward the need. Leading. Um, someone who has a gift to lead, who is hardwired to lead, they are someone who naturally sees a need and moves toward the need and does something about it. They are someone who assumes responsibility. They don't need recognition. They're not looking for recognition. They're looking for movement. The next one is mercy. Someone who is merciful is someone who always sees the best in others, who often overlooks other people's transgressions and craziness for the purpose of trying to bring out what is best in the other person. Now, let me read these verses again, and then I'm going to continue, and then we're going to come back to them. Okay. Verse uh, starting in, in six. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, in six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality or generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So the last three don't don't just speak about what to do, but how to do it. It's very important that when you operate in the gifts, you don't just operate in the gifts because you can or you should, but you do it the right way. Like if you're going to give with generosity, if you're going to lead diligently, and if you're going to show mercy with cheerfulness, not like, oh, look at all I've done for you, but you show mercy because you actually care. So these gifts are not gifts of the spirit that, you know, you have them like here or there. These gifts are kind of the way God has hardwired you to be. So one of these is a place that you naturally operate from in a way that is dominant. You may function in a few of these, but one of these, it's not it's not definitive and it's not about identity. It's about how God hardwired you and you naturally kind of flow from this place. So this is important because in Ephesians four, you have gifts of the spirit that are people and Romans 12, you have gifts of the spirit that are ways people are hardwired. And then in first Corinthians 12, you have gifts of the spirit that are of the spirit and from the spirit to communicate and to demonstrate the supremacy of Jesus Christ in ministry, to edify the body of Christ, 
and to reveal Christ. So I'm going to get into that next week. And you're going to probably hear something that you may not have heard before in, in a way that is slightly different. And I hope it's liberating. But th this is this is important here. Let's continue. Let brotherly love without let, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate toward one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. This is important because there's some people that you cannot live peaceably with because they don't have peace within themselves. So those are the type of people that are toxic and you need to cut that off. You, you need to say, God bless you. You're going to go your way. I'm going to go mine. But as long as it depends on you, you don't be a source of strife. You don't be a source of contention. You be a peacemaker. You be uh, merciful. You be kind. So you don't want to be the problem. But if there is a perpetual problem, there is nothing wrong with cutting that off. And Jesus said that. Um, and, and Paul talks about that uh, as it relates to church and church discipline. He says, mark those who cause division and warn them and then warn them and then throw them out. So you cannot and do not have to live with uh, people who do not want to live peaceably with you. I just want to say that's very important because dysfunctional people attract dysfunctional people and uh, you don't have to live with that. That is not God's best for you, nor will that do anything uh, for you to help you in any way. Okay. Um, let me continue. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do you see the new, new, new covenant version of vengeance? Did you see that? Blessing people who curse you, feeding them, giving them a drink. That's 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 the new covenant version of vengeance. OK, uh, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, which means that good is more powerful than evil. So you are not a victim. Even in suffering, Paul said that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So even if you're being victimized, you don't have to be a victim. If you don't want to be, that's your choice. So do not overcome uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, which is encouraging. And it means that you can. And whenever the Bible tells you you can, you can, whether you feel you can or not, whether you were told you can or not, that doesn't matter. What matters is if the Bible calls you to something, then there is grace to walk in that calling. And, and, and so if God commands you when he releases his word, there's grace on his word for your, your assignment. And uh, you will be able to accomplish what he sent you to do. So I, I can't preach this whole text, but I want to say to us that our, the, our main focus for this life group and for this teaching is the gifts, the seven gifts that are hardwired into us. And these are gifts that we should use. 
These are gifts that we kind of flow from, we see from, we operate from, we perceive from, we respond from, uh, we're motivated by. And so I, I hope that that is helpful. But these gifts are, again, for the edifying um, of the body, because if the body is strong, then the church will be fruitful. If the body is weak, the church will be unfruitful. Everyone doing their part creates movement, growth, momentum, health. Um, one of the things that happens when, when a body part isn't used in, in, in the natural is atrophy happens. So if someone has bad circulation, and let's say blood flow doesn't get to their toes, eventually they're going to lose feeling in their toes. And eventually they may even lose their toes because without blood flow there, um, it's going to die. So wherever, wherever there's not blood flowing, eventually it's going to die. So there are many people in church and there are many churches full of people with atrophy who are not being, they're not exercising. They're not using their faith. They're not using their gifts. They're not growing. They're, they're not activated. They're not equipped. And, and so it's like the devil beats on them six days a week. And then they try to show up for church one day. And, and that is not how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to be equipped with a measure of faith for your Metron, understanding the character and nature of God and flowing in who he's created you to be, to be an ambassador of his kingdom in your Metron or in your sphere of influence, the places where God has sent you. For example, your home, your workplace, your relationships, your, your Metron also uh, deals with your resources, your relationships, your opportunity, your skills, your talents, your opportunities, the challenges you face. The, your faith is for your Metron. So your faith is not for my Metron. That's what many times people, we have inexperienced experts who want to jump into someone else's Metron and tell them how to do something they've never done instead of being faithful in their own Metron. That's, that's, that's a whole nother message. But so then if you go into, I want to go into 10 a little bit, 10 and 11, be kindly affectionate toward one another in honor, giving preference to one another. That is the key to a successful marriage where you embody the gospel and you are giving preference to the other person. Uh, Jesus chose us over his very own life. If you, if you embody that, got that part of the gospel, you probably won't have a lot of fighting in your marriage. Um, next one, not lagging in diligence. So it's talking about don't be lazy. Like this is actually talking about in work, diligent. The Bible says the diligent hand makes rich. The Bible says that the diligent will bear rule. So money and power come to people who are diligent. Under my keyboard, I have that proverb written, the diligent hand makes rich. Tape to the bottom of my keyboard. You have to speak over yourself. Um, rejoicing in hope. This is another one. Uh, fervent in spirit. Deeply resolute in the direction that God has given you. And that is clear. Uh, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Serve the Lord with fervently. Uh, when you used to serve the devil, it was fervently. It was all weekend. It was all week. It was 24-7. You know, and, and then with Christians, they're like, oh, you know, I can't, this and that. I, I mean, what happened to the fervency? So anyway, 
uh, rejoicing in hope. Now, this is really good. I mean, this is an encouraging one. Rejoicing in hope, which means that I'm rejoicing about not what I currently have, but what I'm expecting. So it's like singing the song before the breakthrough. So hope is so powerful that it has an effect on my emotions before I receive what I'm actually hoping for. So you, you know, you, you know who has hope and who doesn't have hope. You hear it in their mouth. It's, it's, you can't hide it. Um, you hear doubt in people, you hear unbelief in people, you hear, you know, if, and this, and if that, and if, instead of our deep resolution, rejoicing in hope. In other words, we're celebrating the victory before the buzzer sounds, because we know what was promised and what God said. So that's important because that affects how you wait. Hope is energizing. Depression is draining. Just thought I'd share that with you. Uh, patient in tribulation. So, so when you're going through something, go through it with cheerful endurance. That's what patient often is. Cheerful endurance. It's the ability to endure with a smile. This is why crazy people whose faith has been tested have a, have a laugh. It sounds like a sinister laugh. Like... <laughs> They have this, this laugh. They have something deep in them because they've been through something. If you hear Heidi, every once in a while, Heidi Baker, when she talks, she starts laughing because that's her history and that's what she went through. And that's her, that's her joy because she has endured something. So there's a, like most people of faith, like most crazy people of faith have like a little laugh inside them because they are calling to remembrance the things that they've been through and they know that God has been faithful. So if you ever listen to people, you hear that in them. Some people have that. If you have, if you don't have that yet, that's all right. Stick around and uh, you'll get tested and eventually you'll have a sinister laugh. And that laugh will be you calling to remembrance the faithfulness of God in your life when you were really hurting down and out and God brought you through. Okay. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, um, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So this is ways of, of how... We are to serve the Lord, irregardless of one of those ways that we're wired. So our character, this is important. Our character should all be the same. So all that honoring one another, loving, serving, fervent at work, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing in prayer, giving to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. None of those have to do with how we're hardwired. Those are Christian virtues. That's how we should behave. That's who we are as the people of God. And that's how we represent Jesus to one another. So this is important for you to understand because people will be like, this is not my gift. That's not my gift. What's your gift? Nothing's your gift. You don't do anything. And then you wonder why you're miserable because you're focused on yourself. You don't serve anyone else. You don't do anything for anyone else and you're depressed. Well, if I didn't do anything for anyone else, I'd probably be depressed too. And if all I did is focus on myself, I'd probably be depressed as well. That's not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is someone that Jesus is being formed in and then it's being expressed through your life. 
So God is working in you, but it's your job to work it out. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So God works it in you and then you work it out. And you take it seriously and you're sober minded about it because God has given you a metron uh, of grace and a metron of faith. He's given you a metron uh, of, of where you have influence and a measure of faith to navigate in that. And uh, he's given you gifts as it relates to ways that you're wired to be effective in the place that he sent you. So I hope that that has been helpful. If this is helpful, uh, please share it. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.